0: Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 87th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 418th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, August 2nd, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment and Indiana is the national champion when it comes- This week's Banner Moment occurred on Wednesday when the official Twitter account of the IU Excellence Academy tweeted out that it was open for business. Specifically, the Tobias Nutrition Center opened and hosted the women's soccer team for its first meal. So what does this have to do with the men's basketball team? Well... Everything, The IU Excellence Academy, which is located in the south end zone of Memorial Stadium, is much more than just a nutrition center. It is a 120,000-square-foot complex dedicated to helping all IU student-athletes develop academically, athletically, and personally. As Zach Osterman wrote in the Indianapolis Star, when it is completed, it will include facilities geared toward athlete health, training, wellness, career development, leadership, and life skills." In combination with the impending locker room renovations, the recent renovations to Simon Scott Assembly Hall, and the daily impact of Cook Hall... The Excellence Academy will give Archie Miller and his staff yet another impressive set of facilities and resources to sell to top prospects and, importantly, their parents when they are on recruiting visits. When you're competing with other big-time programs for five-star and four-star prospects, you have to have facilities that stack up to give yourself a fighting chance. After falling behind there for a while, Indiana is doing what is necessary to catch back up in a big way. And even more than its impact on attracting recruits, the Excellence Academy will go a long way toward developing Indiana's players while they are on campus. This should result in better diets, better injury prevention and treatment, and better mental and emotional health as well. All of which is going to have an impact on the court, even if we don't think about it while watching the games. Because games aren't just won or lost during the 40 minutes that tick off the clock. All of the preparation and recovery that happens in between matters too. As we know, the margins between winning and losing at the highest levels of college basketball and recruiting and on the court can be razor thin. The launch of the Excellence Academy is yet another reason to believe a lot more consistent winning is on the horizon for the IU men's basketball team and hopefully all of the other 23 IU sports as well. All right, let me now introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left. He is the Rick Carlisle of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He is the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and he is a world-renowned bracketologist. Look
1: up Bracket Matrix. You'll see Andy has been on the top of the list of the veterans.
0: He is Andy Bottoms, fresh off celebrating his 40th birthday earlier this week, his Calvert Cheney year. Happy birthday, Andy. What's your Bottoms line?
2: Uh well I I thank you for the uh, Calbert Cheney starting lineup. Hey it came.
0: came. Yeah it, uh, <laughs> it arrived.
2: So That's I'm awesome. thinking strongly about sending this thing in on the back to join the starting lineup collector club for 1 year <laughs> for only 7.99. Feels like a great deal. Yeah. So <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving for sure. Um you know for me this week uh it was funny my my daughter had a couple games tonight and the second of which was uh a pretty hard fought game. One of the worst officiated games I've ever seen. It would have made Was it Ted Palatine? No, it was not. We would have made Bo play out. Uh, it was, uh, it was pretty rough. But the girls came over to the bench, and one of them said, uh, "This is fun. This kind of game is fun." And it was. It, it's funny. It kind of struck me. I was like, "Well, that, that was my favorite part of the entire game was her saying that." Now, the fact that we pulled away and, and won uh, certainly helped. But you know, kind of in the midst of a hard fought game where emotions were pretty high, for somebody to be able to sit back and say like this was fun, and so you kind of put that in the context of the off season and some of the stuff that you hear. Uh, about these guys. They posted the video of, of having, you know, the guys at the lake, uh, I think yesterday or the day before. And it seems like the the team has struck a pretty good balance in the off season of doing stuff that's fun. A lot of team bonding. They seem to be a pretty tight knit group. Obviously, they're not going to show you guys fighting with each other in practice on social media. But let's assume that what we've seen is relatively representative of how these guys are getting along. Um, but then you also see and hear about all the work that they're putting in. And so it seems like the Archie and the staff have struck a pretty good balance over the course of the offseason and uh, in an ideal world that pays dividends and, uh, and leads to some fun postgame shows for us as we uh, as we move forward through the season.
0: And to my right, he is a columnist for The Big Lead, a co-host for The Hangover, and he's probably not happy about our collective decision to have a no-interruption policy for tonight's show because... Let me just jump in real quick. Ryan, no interruptions. That is what we all agreed upon for this show.
1: You gotta get that disease of me out of the way.
0: Exactly, Coach you know what? Leave me alone. Ryan, look, you can either agree to no interruptions like the rest of us or just sit this this week out. It's pretty simple. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. All right. Well, in Ryan's place, it is the official sixth man of the assembly call. He's an assistant basketball coach at Western High School, the host of Sports Talk with Tonsoni, and the founder of the Delphi Bracketology Club, which is currently ranked number one in Bracket Matrix. I refuse to believe that's the case. It is the case, and he is the coach, Brian Tonsoni. Coach, it's Tonsoni time. What's on your mind?
1: Well, I'm just enjoying the last week uh, of summer vacation as an educator. I have to go back and next Tuesday and and start working again, uh, which is always one of the perks of of my job. And then you asked me to be on the show and you start out with a a segment about meals and nutrition. And, uh, you know, so that got me a little bit excited. Probably two things that I need to do a better job of Um, from a basketball uh, standpoint competition and speed. And, And, you know, the social media stuff is awesome. And and like Andy said, they're going to, you know, give you the best things that happen in practice. But going back to developing their bodies, I think that's been great. I think we've seen that. That's exciting. That's going to make the players better. But the level of depth, and you're hearing it in the football program, you're hearing it in the basketball program, that speed and strength is going to lead to better depth. And more competition. And the final word for for my opening line is we are going to see competition for playing time and spots. And that's just going to raise the entire team in a way that I think all of us will be happy with.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to do a quick recruiting update here at the end of segment number one, and then we're going to dive in to our Evan Fitzner offseason breakdown, talk about his strengths and weaknesses. We dug into some of the numbers, uh, you know, watch the tape as Ryan likes to say. And so we'll talk about his strengths and weaknesses and how we see him fitting on this year's IU roster. And we have a bunch of questions that you all submitted. And so as we always do, we will answer your questions as well. All of that coming here on this edition of Assembly Call Radio. Uh, Before we get to this week's top story, talking about recruiting, a quick reminder. It's about money! I want to quickly remind you that there are two great ways to shop online for tickets and for IU gear that also help us out at the same time. Remember these two URLs, iutickets.shop and iustore.shop. When you use those URLs to buy IU tickets or gear, tickets or gear that hopefully you would be buying anyway, We actually get paid a commission for referring you, and these commissions really add up and help us cover the cost of running the show, which now apparently are going to involve Coach Tonsoni's personal training sessions with Cliff Marshall.
1: I think I need to hire Cliff Marshall to work on my body. iutickets.shop will take you right to SeatGeek, where
0: you can immediately find the best deals on IU basketball tickets, as well as IU football tickets, concert tickets, and other live events. As a bonus, use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $20 back after your first purchase iustore.shop will take you to the official IU online store when it's time to shop for birthdays, Christmas, or just get new stuff for the upcoming season. They have gear for everyone, kids and adults, and they always have a ton of stuff on sale. Again, please bookmark iutickets.shop and iustore.shop and use them when you are looking for tickets and for IU gear. Taking just that one extra step before you shop will help us raise the money we need to cover our most important expenses like website hosting, podcasting equipment, and... (sighs) Revenue, shared distributions to Ryan. I own a third of the company. Sorry, Jared. Once again, the URLs are iutickets.shop and iustore.shop. Thank you. All righty. You are listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And guys, I don't know how much you paid attention to the recruiting news this week, but obviously the, the July open recruiting uh, uh, period has ended. And, you know, while Indiana fans wait for the 2019 class to crystallize with actual commitments, and it feels like we, you know, we moved, uh, uh, I guess, one small step toward that is Armand Franklin announced his final three of Indiana, Purdue, and Xavier, although it seems like most people feel like Xavier and Purdue lead there. And then you saw uh, Trace Jackson Davis um, earlier on Thursday night announced that he's going to be announcing his final six soon. So, you know, those at uh, the 2019 recruitments kind of continue to to move forward step by step. But we started to see the 2020 and even the 21 recruiting classes take shape a bit with some more offers doled out by Archie Miller and his staff. So just in the past week, um, we saw new offers go out to, and this is in the class of 2020, Andre Jackson, uh, the number 53rd ranked player in the class, a six six shooting guard from Albany, New York. Namari Burnett, uh, number 58 in the class, a 6'3 shooting guard from Prolific Prep in California, and Caleb Love, the number 42 ranked player in the class, a 6'3 point guard from St. Louis, Missouri. That adds to Ethan Morton out of Pennsylvania and Zach Loveday out of Ohio, who also have offers. And, you know, Andy, the, the thing that I find interesting about this, we know that Archie really wants to focus, you know, inside out, focus on the state and kind of, you know, the breadbasket around Indiana. The class of 2020. The highest ranked guy from the state of Indiana is Anthony Leal from Bloomington, who's number ninety three, and then Trey Galloway, number one hundred nine, uh, from Culver Academy. Neither of those guys yet have offers, and so I think one thing to watch as we kind of you know go through, uh, you know, look at how this class of twenty twenty continues to take shape is do do Archie and his staff eventually feel comfortable enough with those two guys to offer them or you know because they don't feel comfortable, are they going to take a little bit more of a wider view of recruiting some of these guys from New York from California from Missouri because they just don't feel like they're finding the talent in the area that they want because inside out is nice, but you've also got to get players who are good enough to take you where you want to go, in your and you're in your staff's estimation
2: yeah, I mean, I think each year is a little bit different I mean you look at this you know the the two thousand eighteen or two thousand nineteen class. And we've talked before about how there just aren't a lot of point guards or just, you know, just certain areas, whether it's positionally or regionally, it all just kind of ebbs and flows and it's there. And I think that's just reflective of, you know, there's not as much in Indiana versus this year where you've got, you know, two of the top, let's say 20 guys that are uh, that are from the state and and a handful of others who are around in that range as well. So um, I, I think it's just something that's cyclical with the talent. I, I do think they'll look at those guys. The, the one thing that you'll notice is you go down the list of the guys that you mentioned positionally they're almost all guards and almost all shooting guards. And I think Leal and Galloway both kind of fall into that camp to a certain extent anyway. So I think that becomes a little bit challenging of seems to be guard heavy on, on offers and and looking at those guys. And when the in-state guys are, you know, recruiting rankings are what they are, but you know, on the the lower end of that, then, uh, you know, it might be a different story if there was an in-state big guy who was available, but I don't believe that's the, uh, believe that's the case for that class. And, and also trying to figure out what the positions of need are going to be on the roster. And I think as we look forward to next year, one of the spots we kind of worry about or think about is shooting guard. I think you got to look beyond that and say, hey, if, even if you get somebody who might be a one-year guy or a, you know, grad transfer to help fill that, you're going to need those kinds of guards in the, in the year after and somebody who's going to be able to step in right away. And uh, at this point, maybe they don't feel like those guys are going to be able to do that, but a lot can change over between now and the time that those guys would commit as well. So don't think it's necessarily any cause for worry uh, or now, I think just kind of the way that the the class is shaken out regionally.
0: Yeah. Just something to track as we move forward. And then it was also interesting to note that an offer went out to Terrence Clark, a 6'6 shooting guard out of the Boston area, who is currently the number one ranked player in the class of 2021. So Archie and the staff uh, shooting high there. And another interesting name to keep an eye on is class of 2021 guard, Christian Lander. He's a 5'11 point guard from Evansville, currently ranked number 14 overall in the class of 2021. And while IU hasn't offered yet, although they've been tracking him and have a relationship developed, Illinois has offered him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with that recruitment. But those are two names for the class of 2021 uh, to keep an eye on. Coach, do you have any uh, any thoughts on the recruiting before we move forward and start talking yeah. to Fitzner?
1: Just briefly, to looking forward to seeing how Archie fills his 13 scholarships in in years to come. I think it's difficult to have 13 top rated players on a squad is we've been asked, uh, in, in questions, what, who's going to see playing time. And I, I did a little exercise of trying to dole out minutes, uh, on my own. And it got to be quite difficult. And, and then you combine that with our discussion last week about red shirting, you know, do you see someone like, uh, a, the in-state guys into in 2020 come in and maybe be a red shirt candidate or the, the lower rank guys, do you get some of those at 11, 12 and 13 that you can develop to be four or five year uh, program guys, so you could fit in the top level guys. Uh, I don't have that answer. Uh, I don't know what's best. I think that probably for each school is is what the coach feels comfortable with. But I think we can identify that as Archie goes on in another year or two to see how that happens, and then we never want any transitions other than graduation and going to the pros. But that always happens occasionally in programs based on playing time and so forth. So we'll start to get a better feel about the whole recruiting. We know the inside out, and that's been uh, well documented. And then the next level of recruiting is how, how deep is he going to go because he likes to play eight to ten guys and, and keep everyone on a path to, to stay with Indiana. So that's what I'm looking forward to with. With recruiting down the road
0: yeah and as we've mentioned you know programs like villanova have shown a path for how you use you know combine smart red shirting with still getting you know top flight guys so hopefully that is uh that is something that archie and the staff will be able to figure out as we move forward here all right coming up it is time to talk about one of the newest hoosiers who has been earning rave reviews for his shooting in summer workouts it's evan fitzner what are the grad transfer's biggest strengths and weaknesses as he enters his final season of college shoots we will discuss stick with us You are listening to The Assembly Call, a weekly show about IU basketball plus a post-game show that goes live during the season as soon as every IU basketball game ends. If you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of The Assembly Call, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call, or you can watch our live video broadcast on Thursday nights and after all IU games on YouTube. And by the way, the YouTube broadcasts also feature the Between Segment banner that doesn't make it into the radio or podcast edit of the show. And last week, that included this loving thought from Ryan on what he would do if we ever had an assembly call meetup in San Diego. I'll stay at my parents' house. I don't want to stay around you guys. That clip, not taken out of context. Coach, if you'll remember, that was the exact context that that was used in. So that was a fair use of that drop. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash assembly call. All right, I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. And guys, let's let's talk about Evan Fitzner. He is uh, the grad transfer brought to this Indiana team Obviously, for his shooting, as we're going to get into, that is his main strength. But let's talk real quick just about who he is. He is a a 6'10 player. He's about 230 pounds. He is from San Diego, California. San Diego chicken... Yes. So even when Ryan's not here, we have to have some kind of San Diego mention uh, on the show, but he comes from a very athletic family. Dad actually played hoops at Stanford. Uh, His mom, an All-American volleyball player at Hawaii, brother San Diego prep athlete of the year as a volleyball uh, and football player back in 2012. So uh, obviously, good genes comes from an athletic family. And has had his moments of being a very, very productive player at the college level. And, you know, what's interesting is you look at his career at St. Mary's is that he started all 35 games as a freshman, all 34 games as a sophomore and played 23 and a half minutes per game as a freshman, but then just 15.1 minutes per game as a sophomore. And then as a junior, it fell off even more where he only started seven of 36 games uh, and still played around those 15 minutes. So you really saw his role change over the three years although when you look at his numbers it's not like he became a worse shooter or a drastically different player it seems like maybe uh, andy and maybe you can talk about this a, a little better than i can that or, or coach you know that maybe what they were trying to do changed a little bit and his particular skill set just didn't quite seem to fit the the, the alterations they went through or, or what they wanted to do from a style perspective
2: yeah i think we were talking about this a little bit during the break that to Coach had thought they went to a little bit smaller lineup, uh, at least last year. Uh, and that seems to be the case. Just looking at the Ken Palm lineup numbers, you know, both their small forward and power forward were just 6'6". Uh, and he, you know, just didn't, you know, kind of lost playing time there. Just ebbed and flowed over time, really, as they had different guys go through the program. As, as Jack Landale, who was, you know, one of the better players in the country last year, really came on. He, he seemed to leapfrog him a little bit on the on the depth chart. Uh, and so, you know, as we'll get into some of the things that that you'll talk about later, uh, potentially just not a, I don't want to say not a fit for what they were doing, but they're a team that plays really slow and they don't play a lot of guys. And so if you're on the outside of that, you know, kind of starting lineup, you're not necessarily going to get a lot of run unless, uh, you know, unless somebody gets in foul trouble. And so when you look at the lineups that are most used on Ken Palm, he was part of the, you know, kind of second most used lineup, uh, you know. I think both of the last two years, but that lineup that was used the most for them last year was used almost 50% of the the minutes. So um, they really stuck with the guys that they had. They had a really veteran team, um, you know, with three seniors. And so they really, you know, know, kind of rode with those guys, which is easier to do when you're playing uh, at what is typically one of the slowest paces in the country
0: yeah you know and coach one of the things that has been interesting this offseason is you know he's obviously on campus players have seen him go through workouts and we've heard you know deron davis call him the best shooter on the team we've heard other comments and we've you know we've seen the videos and the numbers back it up like whether it's in practice or in games if he's open from three it's going in i mean he's an elite level shooter in catch and shoot, shoot situations especially when he's open which you know we remember what the shooting looked like last year at times that is something that that we're obviously all very excited about but what does it tell you that he's made that much of an impression on his teammates this early on?
1: Well, he's got a skill that is being recognized by his teammates. And if, if you're being called the best shooter, and, and that was a weakness of our team last year, but we've brought some guys in that can shoot. And so that, that just speaks volumes for how good his shooting actually is. And that's something that Archie then will, will find within the offense that Archie likes to run. How, how to play him, but you shooting is, is something that when it's gone, man, it, it really hurts as, as we said, or watched you guys talk many times on the post game shows. You, I don't know that you can never have too many shooters. And when you really bring someone off the bench, if, if you have guys who are six, seven, eight, nine in the rotation, and they're a threat that spaces the floor. So yes, you look at the minutes and the minutes dwindled. But if he comes in and gets those same minutes and can put up those offensive numbers with the talent that we have in the Big Ten, with the Big Ten schedule, I think that's a very nice piece to the puzzle. But that shooting ability is going to be how he gets on the floor. And, and, you know, Joel in chat said defense is the key and Archie doesn't mess around. Uh, And He's going to have to be able to guard and find a spot to guard. If he can't guard down low, can he guard uh, a four out on the floor? Uh, because again, I do think Archie has a defensive mindset, so his shooting will get him on the floor. Uh, can he rebound and can he hold his own on the defensive end for the minutes that we're going, uh, that Indiana is going to need them uh, to play, but you can't, uh, sometimes it's hard to teach shooting. Uh, that's that decent.
0: Don't tell that to Ryan. He thinks he can do it. Um, hold that thought on the defense, though, because we need to get to that, because I've got some numbers here. You're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. So let's talk about Evan's strengths. And, you know, you look at the efficiency stats at Ken Palm. You look at the, you know, kind of the deeper numbers at Synergy. And they they all paint a pretty similar picture. You know, this is a guy who gets most of his offensive production. As a shooter for his career, he's forty one point five percent from three point range. That's on three hundred and one attempts. That is outstanding. Uh, You know, just last year in in his junior season, in unguarded catch and shoot situations, he averaged one point six points per possession, which is crazy. That's in the ninety third percentile. You know, he was in the ninety sixth percentile as a sophomore. So he is. Just outstanding in those situations. Also, really good in pick and pop situations. He's good in transition. Uh, he's he's a good cutter. So you know that tells me that he's a good shooter. He's a skilled offensive player. He's a smart offensive player. And so we know that's what he's going to bring to the table. And he's a pretty good defensive rebounder. You know, last year his defensive rebounding percentage of seventeen point three percent. That would have been third on Indiana after Freddie McSwain and Juwan Morgan. And he's an okay offensive rebounder. So. Those are some of the strengths that he's going to bring to the table. In addition to the fact that he's a decent shot blocker, where he struggles, you know, offensively he's got a low assist rate, but he's not a guy that you're looking to create much for you anyway. Uh, he turns it over a bit too much for a guy that's playing a role like his, and he's not a guy who posts up. That's really striking for a guy who's six ten. Looking at the numbers, he you know he posts up on maybe four or five percent of his possessions. It's very very low. And then defensively, Coach, you know th- this is where the numbers get a little bit ugly. Uh, last year, he gave up 0.985 points per possession, which was in the 19th percentile. His sophomore year, he was in the 29th percentile, a little bit better as a freshman. But where he struggled, according to the numbers, where he especially struggled, was in defending jump shooters. And he was just average at defending post-ups. So the two things that you just said that you know he would need to be able to do to get on the court from a defensive standpoint seem to be things he struggles with a little bit. So it seems to me that as we you know, kind of project Evan forward this year, you know a lot of it we may be looking at it from the standpoint of, are his offensive contributions, the floor spacing, the three-pointers that he's going to make, are they compensating for points he's probably going to give up on the other end? Or do you think that Indiana playing a different style defense might somehow help him fit in a little bit better on that end?
1: You know, you took, you just read my mind about I have to go back and see what St. Mary's did defensively. I think if it's different, then that gives us a little bit of hope. If if they covered in uh, situations in, in similar ways that we're going to ask Evan to cover, then that gives us some pause. You also got to believe in the coaching staff too. And I, I know Bennett's a great coach at, at St. Mary's, uh, but get in and get surrounded with some talent and playing some talent that there'll be a little bit of a regression, uh, to the mean or a regression to, to the average a little bit. And, and if we're asking him, you know, for 14 to 18 minutes, kind of where I, I would project him to be, uh, there's ways you can cover up the post up. You can double, you can dig. If you know, you have a weak matchup there and they're going to isolate that in the post, then the coaching staff by scouting will have, uh, some ways to, to help that, that, uh, that I think they'll have to go to, if that's the case. Go ahead, Andy.
2: Well, I think I think a couple of things may lead to some of those defensive numbers, which are are concerning. Certainly, I don't mean to downplay that part of that. I think I think the post up piece. One of the things that he talked about in coming to IU was really having to try to get stronger and some of the things like that. I think that helps uh, him in the post a little bit. And I think it's a little bit, you know, somewhat self fulfilling when you're a guy who really plays on the perimeter offensively. As you mentioned, it, it hurts your offensive rebounding because you're not really in a position to do that. And two, you're not really putting on a ton of weight to bang with people because you're not posting up yourself. So I think that I think that part of it to me seems more fixable. Um, the other thing is, is a guy in his position, I mean, Jack Landale was more of a, you know, guy's going to sit inside. He's going to guard the opposing teams five every single time. And in a league like the West Coast Conference, you're going to have more people play small. And I don't know that him trying to defend small ball power forward is probably an area where he's really going to be able to To do very much defensively, so if you assume him playing at IU is probably him playing the five, I think, and he gets stronger, I think the kind of defense that he's going to need to play on the inside becomes a little bit easier, I guess, um, when you take some of those things into account. Now, maybe I'm just connecting dots that aren't really there, but I think when you think about the league that that he's playing in and what he was asked to do, it it does kind of it's somewhat explainable. Um, but at the same time, if it doesn't get fixed, I, I, I don't think uh, Archie's looking for excuses as to why something didn't get done correctly. And, and so uh, it'll give him a chance to do that. But I think the strength piece is we've seen some of the work Cliff Marshall's done. It doesn't take him very long to uh, really do a good job and help some guys transform. And I think that part will help him a lot uh, on his
0: post defense. Yeah, that, that all checks out. Makes sense to me, Andy. I like it. Um, okay. Coming up here on The Assembly Call, we continue our discussion about Evan Fitzner. What do we project his role to be on this year's team? And how his impact compare to Indiana's last sharpshooting grad transfer, Max Bielfeld? We'll discuss next. Stick with us. Welcome back. You are listening to The Assembly Call. Here is a little fun fact for you. In addition to our post game show and weekly radio show, we have over 5,800 IU fans from around the globe who subscribe to our email newsletter. There's a high-level operation going on out there. And you can join, too, and it's easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. You will get our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post game analysis emails once the season begins. It is all free, and it will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Again, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 and join for free today. Make no excuses. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni, and we are doing our offseason breakdown. We've done almost every player so far. We're doing Evan Fitzner, uh, Indiana's grad transfer for this season. Andy, we just talked about Evan's strengths and weaknesses, obviously shooting the, the main strength, a huge strength of his. Defense we know is a struggle. So knowing that and and kind of understanding the role that he had at St. Mary's the last couple of years, he's played about 15 minutes per game. What are you projecting forward for him in terms of role this year? And what lineups kind of what lineup constructions do you think will work best with him in there, understanding his strengths and weaknesses?
2: Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he was a starter, uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, you've got a lot of young guys, um, but but even so, I think he'll play a decent amount at the beginning just because he's got that experience, despite the fact that his minutes dropped a little bit and fluctuated over his time at St. Mary's. Uh, I think that kind of veteran presence will be good. In terms of who he fits well with, I think if you look at a front line that's him and Juwan Morgan, it allows him uh, to maybe play outside a little bit more. And while Juwan can do some things from a face-up perspective, um, I think you could have him as the back-to-the-basket guy and, and Fitzner as the... Uh, you know, catch and shoot guy playing on the, you know, the weak side, somebody Romeo can kick the ball to if he, uh, if he gets there. I think some pick and roll type scenarios would be, uh, you know, would be advantageous for him or pick and pop probably more based on his skill set. I, I don't think, you know, probably a little bit late for the Leopard to change its spots in terms of, you know, moving and, and turning him into a back to the basket guy. And I don't really think when, when you go back and, and talk through what this team's deficiencies were last year, um, he, he has the ability to address those by doing what he's already done. Um, so if he can get better defensively, I think that helps. Uh, I, I don't know that you see him. I, I think those lineups with, with Juwan, guys like Juwan and Romeo who are able to attract attention and set him up are the ones that are going uh, to be most advantageous for him because from a catch-and-shoot perspective, it sounds like that's really where uh, that's his bread and butter.
0: By the way, you know who I think he'll fit really well on the floor with is Al Durham because I think if you put Al and Evan in pick and rolls together, that's deadly. Because Al I think it might surprise people how good Al was in pick and roll situations last year. And I mean, we know how good he is going to the basket. So if you've got the choice of either having to, you know, stop Al from going to the basket, but then you've got Evan, you know, popping, or, you know, you you guard Evan and then you've got Al who's able to go to the basket, use those floaters, that's going to be tough for defenses to defend. So I think watch out for those two guys playing together because I think they could be really effective. Um coach what do you think in terms of fit for Evan and, and maybe lineups that he works best in?
1: I think Andy was spot on there uh, with, with the initial thought of, of the lineup with Morgan. I think he's going to be a matchup guy. When, when you have a five that can't guard on the perimeter, I think you might see Fitzner play, whether that's a starter or off the bench. And then you can uh, have matchups with Smith in the post if you need to run him in the post. You could even run uh, Romeo in there if he has an advantage because you have – you're big playing out on the perimeter. I also think that he'll play a lot of the four backing up Morgan. So, you know, Morgan gets in foul trouble. We're better this year because we have a veteran like Fitzner who can come in and at least play the perimeter portion of Morgan's game. And then you can combine him with a low post uh, score, uh, you know, of of whoever's going to be that low post score, uh, whether it's race or, or Moore or uh, Davis, if he's healthy, you could play a combination of those two. And again, I think, go back to what Joel said in the chat room, it depends on can you guard that perimeter player. Uh, if the other team's got a small six, six forward, that might be a, a matchup where he sits out. But I think you can uh, – Archie likes to do a lot of things in transition, and one of the things is the drag screen, which the big is following the action and runs right into a ball screen in the initial, you know, five or six seconds of the shot clock. And, and you, you mentioned it with Durham, but bring Finnessy off, bring Green off, and you've got to guard that. And if you pick and pop with Fitzner, now that creates a long closeout. And now you got Smith and you got Morgan uh, flashing underneath or to the baseline, and that just stretches the defense when, when you have uh, that guy. Most pick and roll situations are the roll to the basket or rolling into a, a, a post-up. You have a guy who can pick and pop, and if he's the best shooter on the team, you have to rotate your defense, and that puts a lot of pressure on the defense. So I think that's, again, if you're looking for offense, and and hopefully he can get on board uh, with the strength and conditioning and the speed to start guarding um, to the level that Archie wants, because I really think he's an asset that is a little bit underwhelmed by fans and and pundits a little bit with what we have as far as multi-dimensional players.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think I think to go back to the matchup point that that coach brought up real fast. Like, think about a Michigan State playing with Nick Ward. So you pull Nick Ward away from the basket, and and if they try to put him on Juwan, I don't think that's a great matchup. And if if he has to try to guard Fitzner out on the floor, that's a problem. Now. The flip side of that is somebody has to guard Nick Ward on the other end. And that's where the part about Fitzner getting stronger and being able to handle those post ups a little bit better becomes really important. But I think that's probably the, you know, I try to think through other matchups like that in the Big Ten. But I mean, that to me is the one that really sticks out where you've got a traditional post guy who wants no part of having to guard somebody out on
1: the perimeter. So the depth issue. The depth issue is great, too, because last year when Morgan got in trouble, we all kind of panicked and tried to survive those seven or eight minutes. He picked up two fouls, and it was, oh, my gosh, are we going to be okay at halftime? Well, we got people who can score, not only Fitzner, but the other guys coming in. That's going to help, too, in those situations where Morgan's not playing the minutes that we, we need him due to foul trouble.
2: That was so, also our homage to Ryan as we both interrupted you over the last couple of minutes. So no, that was no. just, a, just a small tribute that we wanted to uh, provide since he couldn't be here tonight.
0: It's fine. I like it. I like it. Um, so I think it, it it seems fair to expect him to play about 15, 16 minutes, you know, probably score five or six points a game. Like he has, it would be a shock if he shoots anywhere under 40% from three point range because he's going to get good looks and we've seen him do it for three straight seasons now. So it's very easy to talk ourselves into how this is going to work and to think about all the beautiful offensive possessions and what those will look like. My biggest enduring lesson from last season is that I felt like last offseason, we talked ourselves into the idealized versions of every player and got kind of overly excited. And then when that didn't happen during the season, we kind of saw what happened. So I'm, I'm trying to take a little bit of a different tack this offseason. So let me ask you this, Andy, and I'll get your thoughts, coach. If this doesn't go well, why will that be? With Evan, like if he just, you know, struggles, doesn't find a role, like why, why will it be if it doesn't go how we're talking about it right now?
2: I think to me, there's probably two potential reasons. Uh, One of them is good and one of them is bad. One of the the bad one is he struggles defensively and then he can't figure out how to do what Archie wants him to do on that side of the floor. Uh, I don't feel like, again, I don't feel like he's going to be asked to do things offensively that he's not capable of doing and he hasn't shown before. So I don't think he's going to forget how to shoot all of a sudden. Uh, I think the defense is the question. The good, the potential good reason is maybe the young guys just come along really well, and you want to roll the dice and, and play those guys a little bit more. Which, in the long run, for the program, is a good thing. Uh, but, but for me, in this case, I mean, you got a grad transfer who's here for one year. There's really no downside in, in that. It's not like missing on a recruit where you got to figure out what to do with a guy for a period of time, or eventually recruit over him, or do whatever. It's a, this is a pure upside to me. If he comes in, shoots the ball well, figures things out defensively, he's a huge asset for the team. uh, And really it it might be somebody that we look back on and say, Hey, it's a, you know, he really pushed him over the edge in a couple games. If it doesn't, you got a ton of young guys waiting in the wings that you're just going to give minutes to uh, in the end. And while that might not work out great for the player in the long run, you're giving him the opportunity to do what he does at a place that he wanted to go at a high level program. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I think there's very little risk, but those two, those two reasons are the things that I think might not make
1: it go well.
0: Sums it up pretty well. Coach, anything to add to that?
1: That was well said. I, I, I think those are both the issues, but going back to the second part of that, I'm not sure they bring him in if they had the confidence at the end of the year, when they recruited him, that the three young post players, uh, were, you know, they just weren't sure about a race and Forster and more, and so bringing in someone who started a lot of college games and has three years and brings that veteran presence, I think they really brought him in here for a purpose, not just necessarily an in insurance. But I, I do think that if the other uh, young men play, then Indiana's got a really great problem on their hands of of excellent uh, players. And uh, but I, I I think again, I just see that the flexibility that he allows uh, Archie with the lineups will be more of the reason why he plays. But again, defense and rebounding at the level that needs to be done in the Big Ten is, is the main concern, I think, that we have to have. Um, and if he if he gets passed by, that 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 should make us all happy.
0: Yeah, and Archie doesn't seem like a guy who does anything on a whim or without a plan in place. So we can all uh, be confident in that. I'm Jared Morris. This is Assembly Call Radio. I'm here with uh, Brian Tonsoni, the coach, and Andy Bottom. So one last point I wanted to make about this. It's really easy, I think, to look at Evan Fitzner and think about Max Bielfeld, you know, a big guy coming in. He's a good shooter, a grad transfer, you know, really filling a specific need that we had. And so, one of the things I wanted to do in preparation for this is just look back at Max's season and kind of see what. Evan would need to do to to have the same impact Max did. Because I mean, you think back to the impact he had on that 2016 team, and there's absolutely no way that team wins the Big Ten without Max Bielfeld. I mean, he was you know such a consistent force, had really big moments in tight games where, where Indiana really needed a veteran to step up. And the thing I was struck by, kind of looking back at Max's numbers, is they were a lot better than I thought. And so I actually think... Comparing Evan to Max or expecting what Max brought is probably an unfair expectation for Evan Fitzner. You know, Evan or Max averaged eight point two points and four point five rebounds, which aren't numbers that bowl you over. But you remember he was coming off the bench. You know, he played forty three point six percent of minutes, which, which I think is more than Evan will play. Certainly based on what we've seen him do recently and the role we expect him to have. I don't know that he'll play quite that much unless someone gets injured. But Max shot 45.3% from downtown. He actually had a block percentage of 2.6 and a steal percentage of 2.8. And to put that into context, those are really good numbers. Like Those are nationally ranked numbers. Evan, I think he had a you know, block percentage of 1.1 or something like that. Doesn't get steals. So Max really contributed in those two ways. And then his offensive rebounding percentage was 12.2%, which was top 100 in the country. And his defensive rebounding percentage was 18.4%, which is better than what Juwan did last year. So... You know it, it was fun going back and looking at that and you know look we love Max on the show you know he was better than advertised in 2016 and so it's always fun to go relive that but I just think as, as you kind of frame your expectations for Evan as an IU fan, look if he can reach the, the impact that Max Bielfeld had and be a sixth man of the year, that would be unbelievable but I think that's probably a bit beyond what he'll contribute. Uh, this year. And then with that said, none of us expected Max to do everything that he did as a grad transfer. So I guess we can just, we can put that out there as maybe a, uh, you know, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, if Evan can possibly get, um, any thoughts on that comparison coach, just as players.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I really, I'm a stat guy. I look at numbers, but you also got to look at what the team needed in 2016. We needed someone to rebound and guard. We we had a lot of guys who didn't like to guard on that team. They, they, they liked to the score. Uh, hopefully this year, uh, Evan's deficiency is covered up by guys who have been in the system for a year and have more of a defensive mentality. So to compare the defensive stats might be different. I think what I would... It, Say and what I'm going to look at is: Does he improve? Is he one of those graduate transfers that comes in and plays better than he did at his previous school? We've had uh, tons of uh, Max was one of those. You've seen him uh, across uh, the Big Ten. We've also seen some players that are grad transfers that don't come in. Uh, but I think his role to help this team is going to be be average defensively, and the offensive uh, ability that he brings is going to be really the the strength. And I think Max was probably brought in uh, more for depth and defensive rebound. And then when he started hitting the the three-point shots and all that stuff, it was really a bonus. Let's hope the improvement is similar to Max and the impact in his role within his designed role is just as much as Max. And then we have a a very good grad transfer.
0: Good point. Andy, uh, you want to have the last word on Evan Fitzner?
2: Well, I think the the Max comparison, I think it's – Natural in the sense that it's a big guy who who you're bringing in as a grad transfer, but I think you know the things that Max did well from a defensive rebounding and even an offensive rebounding standpoint are things that he had done, it, it, albeit in limited time uh, at Michigan. You know his numbers from a for, for those two two statistics were basically what he had done at Michigan prior to that. What what he had not done uh, was shoot three pointers. He was eleven of thirty nine coming into that uh, to that season. And then, you know, as you said, shot 45%. So, um, it's, if you want to really take the the optimistic viewpoint, you say, all right, well, Fitzner's thing that he was already doing really well is shooting the basketball. And, and like Max's rebounding, that can continue and he'll improve in some kind of area that you didn't expect. Uh, and for Max, that was three-point shooting. Perhaps for Fitzner, it's something different. Um, but I do think because of Duron's injury and because of the young guys, he's going to get a chance to really entrench himself in the rotation pretty early on and what he does with that opportunity, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, But I think early season play is going to do a lot for him because if he plays really well, he's going to put himself in a position where you really can't think about lineup a a ton of time without him and what he brings to the floor. If he doesn't, as young guys get more acclimated to the college game, um, his his minutes are going to dwindle. So I think the first, you know, six, eight, ten games become really important for him. Yeah. Uh and I think it also determines what flexibility IU has with Duran. If he plays well, we talked about potentially redshirting him medically. I think you guys touched on that last week, uh based on one of the questions. If he gets out to a hot start, I, I don't want to say you don't need Duran at that point because I think that's not true, but it gives you some flexibility that you might not have had otherwise.
0: Yep. All righty. Coming up in our final segment, we answer your questions. We got a good one about Hoosier Hysteria and thoughts that we have for improving that, and several others. A few recruiting ones. That is coming in our final segment. Stick with us here in the Assembly Call. You are listening to The Assembly Call. We are wrapping up another week of Talking IU Basketball. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And it is that time of the show where we answer your questions. And we did have one submitted on our voicemail line. Again, that number is 317-ROB-MAKE, which I think is 317-762- 2653, I believe. You have to double check me on that, but it's Rob Make. But you can call, leave a message. We can play your question right here on the air. So the first question comes to us from our good friend, Ben Malcolmson, uh, who runs the site Hoosiers United. Uh, and he sent us this question about Hoosier Hysteria.
1: Hey, it's Ben Malcolmson. My question is for all three of you. With September 29th Hoosier Hysteria event fast approaching, I thought it would be fun to get creative on ideas for the event that can increase fan exposure and excitement. The majority of our fan base that regularly attends the event are familiar with introductions and certain activities such as the slam dunk contest, three point contest, and scrimmage. If you had the power to add, subtract, or revise activities before and/or during the event itself, what would you do?
0: So we just spent a few minutes during the break discussing this question, and I have a feeling Ben's going to be a little bit disappointed uh, by our answer. Uh, and Andy, I think I think it'd be appropriate now to just cede the floor to coach, and let's get his thoughts on Hoosier hysteria.
1: <laughs> I don't like Hoosier hysteria. Sorry to all those fans out there listening, but I, if I have time, I'm a coach, I want to be with my guys and working on closeouts and Ball screen defense and and shooting and getting better so that we don't get beat by twenty one against uh, Indiana State in the first game. Um, and and that's just a coach speaking. Uh, I'd like to see the practice. I'd like to see the drills that Archie runs so I could have a little bit better knowledge. I understand that fans like the three point contest and the introductions and all of that, and it is an exciting time. It's big for recruits. Uh, recruits want to see that excitement, so I don't totally dislike it, but. Uh, I just, I can't watch the slam dunk contest without worrying about injuries. Uh, Joel said in the chat, coach probably didn't like the lake video. I, I like the lake video. I like seeing our guys have fun, but when they were jumping in the lake, I was wondering how deep it was. <laughs> That's a coach mentality. I saw the four guys on the, the tube and I'm like, okay, who's getting thrown off? Uh, make sure you're all right. And I, as a coach, you see everything from the coaching prism and it's injuries and can we get to the first practice? So if I were to do it, it would be, you know, start practice and do your stretching. And then, uh, in all honesty, maybe a combination of trying to make some practice drills and show how you compete in practice. Uh, a lot of coaches with their regular drills have competition, uh, woven in, uh, and explain kind of some of the things that you're doing without giving away the The strategy uh, have an interaction that way uh, might grab some fans, Um, and Andy has an interesting take as well as about how hard it is to please everyone. But yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big big fan of. And and here's the things like
0: it's more than just for the fans. This is also a big event for the recruits. So I think you have to do some stuff at the beginning with some pomp and circumstance, get everybody excited. You know, so you've got to do some fun introductions. I think you've got to let the big recruits have their moment like Archie and the staff did last year when guys walked across the floor. So I'm fine with all of that stuff in the beginning. I have no real interest in the three-point contest. Coach, I'm with you. No interest in the dunk contest. And while I enjoy watching the scrimmage it's just because it's getting to see the new guys play and getting to see everybody out there. I I would prefer more of a real experience like seeing what they would do in a real practice. You mentioned off air how great that practice was at the Big 10 network broadcast with Tom Crean a couple of years ago. That was awesome cuz you got to see what it was really like. So, yeah, I don't know if that, you know, you know, makes me a purist or an old fuddy duddy or whatever. But I'm kind of with you. I would like to do the stuff at the beginning to get the excitement going and make it a big thing for the recruits. But personally, I would like to see more of a real experience. And I think Indiana fans are smart enough and basketball junkie enough that that would create some excitement and enthusiasm. I don't know that you need some of that other stuff. You know, maybe I'm wrong and maybe we're all out of touch, but that's, that's kind of where I feel on it too, at least from my personal perspective. Andy, what do you think?
2: You know, it's interesting because I feel like we're all going to kind of end up saying the same thing. And, and I think the hard part that I, that I brought up after is I think different people want to get different things out of it. And, and I think the three of us and, and potentially a lot of other people listening would be in the same camp of, I want to see what these, you know, I want to see what a practice is like. If you've had enough practices under your belt, which this year isn't really going to be the case, I would like to see a scrimmage, uh, just to kind of see the guys in action, how they fit together, some of those kinds of things. Um, but then you've got other people who are really into the pomp and circumstance, the excitement of the dunk contest and things like that. And as Brent said, you know, they start getting ready to scrimmage and people are hitting the exits cause they want to go someplace else. I think the difficult part is how do you please those different sets of people who want to get something very different out of it. And in addition to that, I think it's hard to sustain the excitement. The excitement at the beginning is, is immense. They do the introductions. Everybody's really excited. And then you move into like a shooting contest, which unless somebody just truly catches fire, is not super exciting. And typically college dunk contests include a lot of guys missing dunks. Uh, I, the NBA contest you know, includes that at times as well. And so then you've kind of got, you just kind of, the air comes out of the balloon a little bit for things that should be exciting and can be exciting in small moments. But there's a whole lot of it. It's like you going through the show to pull out different like sound drops, right? Like there'll probably be highlights you could pull out of a three-point contest and the dunk contest. But the entirety of it, Is really not all that great. That was a terrible analogy about the show because the entirety of the show is fantastic. Um, But uh, you're pulling those out for a different reason. But I'm sure there was a good analogy in there somewhere. But I think that's the hard part. It's just you can't sustain the excitement at the beginning with doing those kinds of activities. But you feel like you have to do those kinds of activities. Um, But but I think I would be... similar to you guys and try to take those away or take one of them away or somehow pair that part of it back a little
0: bit. Well, I think we all agree you've got to do what's best for recruiting. So if you came to me and you said, look, the dunk contest, the three-point contest, the scrimmage, this is what recruits want. This is going to be the best show for recruits. Fine. Like that to me is probably the biggest and most important audience for this thing. And I'm fine sacrificing my own personal desires for what Hoosier hysteria is going to be if it plays better for recruits because it's a big showcase for that. But if it's not, you know, if you're just asking me, as, as Ben's question was, from my perspective as a fan, what are we looking for? I think more Indiana fans than maybe, you know, one might expect would want a more genuine experience for that Hoosier hysteria. Now, maybe that's a little bit harder with it being so early, Andy, which you mentioned, which is a good point because things aren't going to be that crisp. But let's see some individual work. I'd love to see Ed Schillings, you know, individual work with guys. You know, let's see him do some of that stuff. I would be fine watching that. But again, we come on here every week and you know, do a show weekly talking about stuff in the off season when there isn't much to talk about. So maybe we're just crazy. Uh, coach, we're going to give you the last word on this quickly.
1: Well, it it has to be a combination of of stuff, as as you said. But I I think within that, uh, you know, you can do some combinations. Heck, the the layup line can be your dunk contest. Just go up and dunk it and spend 10 minutes dunking the basketball. Almost everyone can go out there and get loose by dunking as better than a, a contest. Or do some shooting contests, one team versus the other within the offense, catching at the elbow, turn, shoot, count to 10, and explain that this is a shot we get out of the offense I think you can do some things to combine both to keep interest. Yep. All righty, that will do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see
0: us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join or text IU to six six eight six six to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. This was the most ridiculous ordeal of my life. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the assembly call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. We encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough.